Well, good morning, everybody. We're in uh, Galatians chapter 1 this morning. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, kind of an overview of Galatians and uh, the letter itself. And this week, we get ready for Paul to do something um, that's a little bit different from our perspective because we don't, uh, in our modern culture, we hate confrontation. So if somebody comes in late and we don't want to embarrass them, most people just avoid that type of... But but Paul was a guy that if he saw something that needed to be confronted, he was very, very direct about it. And and most of you know that I, uh, I'm i on Facebook. Uh, have He probably hold hands and pray with him. Uh, maybe, he might. Uh, have a lot of friends on Facebook. And do you guys ever get friend suggestions from Facebook? Have you ever seen this? Yes. Uh, I recently noticed this, this whole right-hand section of the whole page. I didn't notice that before. And a couple weeks ago, I clicked on a friend suggestion, and the guy's name was Jonathan Edwards, and I was like, that is too cool. And, and as a, a church history kind of buff, I thought, that, that's a pretty cool name. I thought, I wonder if I know this guy. I clicked on the picture, and uh, then clicked on photos. And here is the picture that I saw. <clears throat> and I was like, that is an awesome picture. In case you don't know this person, this is Miss uh, Becky Edwards, and her brother's name is Jonathan, which is kind of cool, and uh, she let me use this picture this morning, this is used by permission, uh, because this, when I saw this picture and I was getting ready to go into Galatians, I thought this is exactly Paul's perspective. He has taken dead aim on anybody that's going to add something to the gospel. So this is, my, this is my mental mindset going in, and also just, you know, she can handle a gun, so that's kind of cool, right? It's pretty neat stuff. So... We're in Galatians chapter 1 this morning. We're going to look at the first five verses. So if you got your Bibles, open up there, and uh, we'll get started. So that we only read three words in last week's text, right? And some of you are like, really? Three words? That was it? Yeah, we're going to go at a faster pace, I promise. We'll get five full verses today. So those first three words from last week were Paul and Apostle. Paul and Apostle. So he immediately throws down his credentials. Uh, he reminds the Galatian believers that he has some authority in this space. Um, but the word apostle is a very specific word. It's different than a disciple. Uh, an apostle is a delegate, and here's your blank if you're note-takers, a messenger, a messenger. So this is somebody who has a very specific message and used in the New Testament context. Uh, and you can, you can read through Acts, and you can see how this word is used. And um, there were originally how many apostles? Anybody know? This is an easy one. There were originally how many apostles? Anybody know? Twelve apostles, right? And then one of them had a problem. Yes, who had a problem? Judas had a problem. So they did what with Judas? Judas hanged himself, and then they did what with the vacant position? <sighs> Come on, lucky seven, right? And they came up with a guy named, Bible trivia for the day, Matthias, yes? And uh, so he filled out the 12, and then there were a couple other people that are called apostles in the book of Acts. And we've kind of been able to back end into this, but... Uh, Acts 4.33 talks about uh, that you had to have seen the risen Lord with your own two eyes if you wanted to be called an apostle, which is why we don't have that title today, right? So we come to church and we worship Jesus and we sing songs about Jesus and we lift up Jesus' name, but he hasn't like personally, visibly shown up in the sanctuary yet, right? Okay, so if he does, then might qualify to be an apostle. That's kind of cool. But So the next blank is they would have had to have personally seen the resurrected Christ. So that was the, that was the standard. And you go, well, 
Well, Paul didn't walk with Jesus, right? But he was walking down a road one day, and then something happened. Anybody remember the name of that road? The Damascus Road, yeah. The road to, where was he going? Going to Damascus, right? And and this idea, yeah, it's, it's kind of the obvious answer of the day, right? Um, and this idea that this light shines, it blinds him, and he sees and hears Jesus. And we have this whole experience. Uh, so he could testify to the fact that Jesus is alive because he had experienced it directly in his life. So he's throwing down his credentials here. Um, and in, in the next uh, parenthetical here, he says, not from men nor through man. So what had happened, and you can read other parts of the New Testament and see that, that there were different people that were popping up all over the place here saying, uh, I'm an apostle, I'm an apostle, I'm an apostle. And they were making stuff up about Jesus and they were making things up about the gospel. Um, and, and one of the easy ways to discredit someone's message, this is, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here from John MacArthur, Thank you for those of you that emailed me notes this week. That was awesome, by the way. I felt like I got to study ten different books without having to put in the time. It was cool. Um, can I say that without sounding lazy? It comes off as lazy, doesn't it? Yeah. All right. Um, I read four or five myself, but, you know, it's, it's where we are. But one of the ways to discredit someone's message is to discredit them personally, right? And we see this in politics constantly today. I mean, you, these smear tactics and campaigns that they bring up somebody's past and, oh, so, Miss Cheryl... I actually used it in an example this morning, so that was awesome. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so these smear tactics and campaigns, and people were accusing Paul of not being an apostle. They were saying, you didn't see what you saw. And he's saying, yes, I did, and I've got some authority in this space. So he's defending uh, where he's coming from. So not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So how many verses have we covered so far? One, and he's already talked about the resurrection. I love reading Paul. Paul cannot get away from the fact that Jesus Christ is critically important and that he changed everything when he got up from the dead. Changed everything. Radically, radically different. So the very first theological concept that Paul addresses is the resurrection, which itself is a component of the gospel. Right? The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Right? Because if you have the death, okay, well he could have lived a perfect life and he died and all right, that, that would pay for our sins. But without the resurrection, we have no hope, right? We have no hope that, that he can do something more with our dead bodies, with our spirits one day. That's the hope that we have from the resurrection. So verse 2, and all the brethren who are with me. So who are these guys? Who's with him? Yeah, Paul rarely, rarely, rarely did anything alone. It's one of the neat concepts in the New Testament. If you read through, uh, if you look at how many times God did something really special when somebody was all by themselves, exceedingly rare. They hung out together. They traveled together. One of them was just safer that way. They did life together. They ate together. They prayed together. They went to worship together. They did. They were always connected with each other. Um, so we have this concept, and the brothers who are with me. So, so it's one of those, and, and Paul had regular traveling companions. Anybody know some of these guys? One was Barnabas, one was Silas, one was Timothy hung out with him quite a bit. Yeah, there was a couple guys that, that hung out for a while and then went home. Mark, yep. So if your name is Mark, sorry about that. But it ends well for Mark, so he kind of redeems the name at the end, so that's good. 
Uh, so if you've named your kid Mark, don't feel bad about that. It's a good name. Um, so he's not just, you know, you know, when when we read the scriptures, we understand that that the author is not just giving their personal opinion. This is the Holy Spirit that has told them what to write, and they are breathing that out onto the page. So the Holy Spirit's words are being breathed out onto the page. So the Holy Spirit's view, this is Paul's view, and it's the view of those that are around him. So I've got some authority in this space, and it's coming from Jesus, and the brethren who are with me. Um, and and one of the things that, that was important for this uh, position of apostleship in the early first church was there needed to be some higher level of structure so this thing didn't go completely off the rails right off the start. Right? So last week we talked about Paul would travel around to different places. He would spend sometimes days, sometimes weeks, sometimes a month, sometimes as much as a year in a place, and he would leave. And there would be a self-sustaining church that he would leave there that would need to know enough about how to do life together as Christians to be able to sustain itself and to grow in a healthy way. Right? So think about, if you had no concept of Christianity whatsoever, you didn't know who Jesus was, somebody comes into town, convinces you that he was God, that he paid for your sins, that he rose again, that he's in heaven, that things are going to get better one day, he's going to make it all right, and he's only going to be around for two months, and you're going to have to carry this torch when he's gone. That's a lot. Right? That's a lot. So there would need to be regular return of leadership at a higher level than just the local congregation so that theologically we're still going in the same direction. And the folks that were given that mantle were called apostles because they saw Jesus. They had something very specific that they could testify to so that when the pastor, who'd only known about Jesus for six months, and he's leading this flock of people who had only known about Jesus for six months, got discouraged, got off the rails, when he listened to the wrong person, when he preached the wrong sermon, the apostle could come in and correct. So there's this idea of authority, right? Now, in Baptist churches, modern-day Baptist churches, who do we consider to be in charge? Who's that? Jesus is in charge, absolutely. Thank you very much. Yes, Jesus is in charge. Now, who is the earthly human being that leads our congregation? What's his name? Uh, Daryl, yes. Um, yeah, Pastor Gary Jared is our senior pastor. He sets our vision, our direction. That's where we're headed. Uh, we have a plurality of church leadership, so we have several pastors that lead where we're going. Uh, I think it's a very biblical model. But we don't have an apostle that could come into our church today and say, hey, Gary Jared, you're wrong. You need to be doing it this way. So here's my question. Who has the accountability to do that when our pastors err? We do. That's exactly right. Because we are the body. And I don't mean the body of Stuart Heights. I mean the body of Christ. We have the responsibility to do that. Okay? So guess who has to know the scriptures for themselves? We do. Right? Because if they jump up and start preaching heresy, we have obligation to jump up and go, I love you, and you're wrong, and this is how we're going to get it right. Okay? Does this make sense? All right. So... <clears throat> It is good, here's your next blank, for us to be reminded that we are all under authority and it never goes away. It never goes away. So today, in some very small way, you guys are sitting under what I am speaking, so there is some degree of authority here with what I am saying. Right? I'm trying not to be arrogant or cocky about this, but there's some degree of authority here. When we go into the sanctuary, 
the person that leads us in worship has some degree of authority in leading us in worship, right? Okay. When the person that stands up and prays, there's some degree of authority that's leading us. We are always being led. It's just the way this works. Sheep have to be led. That's it's a great model. So when the man of God opens up the Word of God, there is authority that is present there. Okay? So you go, okay, great, I get it. Sunday morning we're under authority. Yes. So this afternoon, when you go uh, to your restaurant to eat lunch, okay? So, Lynn, let's say uh, you and the family go out to eat lunch today. Where do you like to go eat lunch on Sundays? El Maison. All right, he's a traditionalist. There we go. All right. Um, so you walk in, you're seated, you eat chips and salsa and cheese dip because, right? I mean, that's, okay, thank you. Making sure we're, we're good Baptists here because there's like Baptists and there's cheese dip Baptists, okay? So uh, <laughs> we should Google that. That'd be awesome. Cheese dip Baptists. Um, and you eat your meal and then the waiter brings you something at the very end, right? What does the waiter bring you? A bill, right? Now, are you obligated to pay that bill? Why? You ate the food. There's some level of responsibility that you have, right? So let's say you walked out of that restaurant and left and did not pay the bill. What could El Maison do? Not a lot in the state of Tennessee, right? Yeah. Coming from a small business owner, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but let's say they had videotape of you eating and videotape of you looking into the camera and going, I will not pay for this. I enjoyed it. Everything was good. The service was great, but I'm deciding not to pay. It, yeah, you better leave them a good tip, right? So let's say they took you to court. And the lawyer stands up and says, Lynn Rice is an awful human being. He did not pay for his cheese dip that he so appropriately ate, right? And your lawyer stands up and says, yep, pretty much. He, he didn't pay for it. He didn't want to. He's having a bad day. He didn't want to pay for it. What's the judge going to do? He's going to make you pay for it. Why is the judge going to make you do that? Yep. And what happens if you don't pay for it when the judge says pay for it? He's going to put you in jail. You know why? For cheese dip, right? Which, when you think about it, I mean, that's it's cheese dip, right? It's pretty awesome stuff. Um, he's going to put you in jail, and you're going to go to jail because you're under authority to the law. So when we are here Sunday morning, we're under authority to the Scriptures and the way the Scriptures have defined things. When we leave here, we're under the authority of the law, right? So when you go to your job tomorrow morning, whose authority are you under there? boss, right? It's that dude that makes me go there early and do this this way and this. How many of you are bosses? Yeah. You are bosses, yes. Yes, you supervise other people. You're responsible for them. Um, we have a degree of authority at our jobs and we are also under authority, right? So you, you responsible downward and upward. So there's authority all over the place. Our authority, and here's a good concept to teach to your kids when they're young, is that the authority over you never goes away. It never, it changes form. It will change location. It will change its visible appearance, but they, it will never go away. It never goes away. There's always authority. So Paul is reminding them here that my authority came from Jesus, right? So, so he starts off kind of rough, right? He's like, I'm an apostle. Here we go. Um, and here's my question. I, I think I put it on the handout. How, how does he get to, maybe I didn't, 
how does he get to start off this way? How does he get to begin this conversation saying, I'm an apostle and that's important? How does he get to do that? Jesus appeared to him, yeah. That there was an already existing relationship with these people, right? And here's what I, I try to mix up sometimes. I will see someone doing something that is grossly incorrect, either at work or at church or in life as a whole, and I have this strong, passionate desire to go correct it, right? I want to go correct it. I want to speak into this space, right, and say, right, and just throw up on somebody. And the problem with that is if I don't have, not literally throw up, but you know, I mean, like, you get what I'm saying. Verbal vomit. Ooh, that's really good. Ooh. All right. But if I don't have a pre-existing relationship with someone and I do that, clanging cymbals, right? You see where I'm going with this? See, Paul already loved these folks and they knew that he loved them because he probably, if, if, we, if you can imagine some of the cities, he got beaten in some of these cities when he passed through the first couple of times. He got stoned when he went through these cities. They dragged him out. They thought he was dead. So if you're the people that you've just been taught by this man about this guy named Jesus, and you watch the guy that just about Jesus get dragged out of the city and you think he's dead, and then he writes you a letter, you know what? That's kind of heavy. This guy cares about me. He put his life on the line for me. There was already an existing relationship there, so they were able to speak very bluntly and very truthfully and very lovingly that this is what the gospel's about. Does that make sense? The relationship comes first, the love comes first, and then the truth. All right? If we don't wrap the truth in love, um, how many of you have seen these uh, things on Facebook? I feel like it's a whole Facebook lesson today. Um, these pictures on Facebook where everything's wrapped in bacon. Have you seen these? These hamburgers and it's completely wrapped in bacon. It's like interlaced and interwoven. It's like, how do you make anything better? Well, you put bacon on it, right? Or maybe cheese dip. I don't know. That's cool too. Um, it, to me, not having love, it, it, it's just, you know, you got a burnt piece of meat here. This is just awful. But wrapping it in bacon, you're like, oh, now we're getting somewhere, right? Now we've wrapped it in love. Now it can be, now if you don't like bacon, then pick whatever you like, right? I mean, okay, cauliflower, I don't know, if you're really a health nut or something. But, but something, something that, uh, that can help that. So this is, uh, I wrote this sentence a couple days ago. This is Christian Communication 101, truth wrapped in the hearer's knowledge that the messenger loves them. Truth wrapped in the, in the hearer's knowledge that the messenger loves them. Um, I pray for you guys every single day by name. And one of the reasons I do that is that so when I stand up here and have to say something that I feel is, man, I'm going to step on some toes today, that you guys know that I already love you so that I have some freedom to speak into this space without offending. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's where we're trying to come from here. So next little phrase, to the churches of Galatia. To the churches of Galatia. So how many messages did Paul write to the churches of Galatia? Do you have Galatians 1, Galatians 2, Galatians 3, and Galatians 4 in your scriptures? No, you have Galatians 1. So we know about the 1. That's the canon of scripture, right? So this Im implicit in this phrase is the idea that there is a single standard of truth for all churches. Now, here's the really cool thing. Paul did not go to the region of Galatia and preach one version of the gospel and then go to Philippi and preach another version of the gospel. 
and then go to Colossae and preach another version of the gospel. Can you imagine how challenging Christian theology would be if it was regionally specific? <laughs> I think it's hard enough as it is most days to wrap my head around some of these massive concepts. But there is one single message for all of the churches. This makes sense? Yes. Who are you looking for, David? Doug Skinner is not in the room, yes. Joe McKay is not in the room. They are both out of the out of town this weekend. All right, cool. Um, so there are not varieties of sources of truth or varieties of gospel that reflect truth. There is one truth. There is one gospel. There is one God in three persons. There is one resurrection, one faith, one hope. There is one and only one Redeemer and Savior, and His name is Jesus. And Paul is going to be crystal clear about these things to make sure everybody understands there is a singular message that we're giving. So, verse 3. Grace to you and peace. Now, um, what, what empire was in charge at this time? Rome. Okay. And what was one of the uh, and, and primary audience, or were they pagan? Pagan, right? He was, the, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. That's how he classified himself. Peter had the Jews covered. Paul's got the, the Pagans. Paul's our guy, right? Because we're the Gentiles. That's us. Um, so grace was a very common Greek greeting at this time. It was a very common Greek greeting. And peace was a common Jewish greeting. So when Paul says this little phrase, he's combining cultures here. Okay, now, now I didn't, I don't know that I ever even knew this. I was reading this this week. Um, Linsky, this guy, he, he's quoted as saying, grace is always first, peace is always second, and this is due to the fact that grace is the source of peace. So you, you can't start with peace and then get grace. You have to start with grace and then you get peace. Right? It, it's got to happen that way. Um, I could talk a long time about that, but that's just the way this works. So, grace to you and peace. So he's softening here a little bit, right? From God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So grace starts with God and it's delivered through Christ. And peace, and the, the root word of the, uh, the Greek word for peace means to join together. It's a good thing, right? Because when you have peace, you have two, two parties that are joined together. So peace is made possible by the finished work of Christ, which enables us to join with God both now and forever. So verse 4, who gave himself... For our sins. Now, does anybody know what the word, uh, the Greek word for sins is? That's a tough one, isn't it? It's uh, hamartia. Hamartia. Uh, the definitions that we're familiar with are to miss the mark, right? You've heard of that before, right? To miss the mark. Okay. Um, how many of you have ever had an investment opportunity that you were presented with that you decided not to go forward with that turned out later to be? Oh man, that would have been really great if I could have got in on that, right? Anybody ever had that? Um, another definition for this word is is to be without a share in. To be without a share in. So the idea is that this is some wonderful, wonderful thing that you are not a part of. You are outside of the goodness. You are outside of the right place you are outside of the right action. Does this make sense? The Old Testament concept of sin was 
There's a path that we're supposed to walk, and any deviation from the path is sin, right? That's why Proverbs talks about the way that a man should go, the path of righteousness, the journey that we are on. There's a way that we ought to be walking, and the New Testament says, and if you miss that mark, if you get off of that path, that is sin, right? And Jesus talks about the width of that road, and he describes it as a wide road or a narrow road. Narrow road, right? So, so we've got a narrow path that we're supposed to be walking. When we get off of that path, that is sin. So, who gave himself for our sins. Now, here's the deal, right? My wife is Julie. She's in the pink sweater in the back. If Julie were to go off half-cocked one day and, uh, like, murder 15 people, and those of you that know her, I mean, just they're way outside the bounds of what you would consider Julie to be. Like, a, I mean, serial killer? No, that's not, you know, not going to happen. Well, let's say at her uh, at her hearing, the uh, judge stands up and he said, "Well, somebody's got to die for the crimes that she's done." Well, I'm I'm raising my hand because that's my wife, right? I mean, that's I I die for you, um, and that's an egregious sin that we could all go, yeah. There's some serious punishment associated with that. Well. What if Julie, right now, because I called her out in Sunday school, is thinking evil thoughts about me? Okay? Thoughts of, <laughs> did I call you on it? <laughs> oh, okay, I'm sorry. I was like, oh gosh, I didn't totally mean to step in it. <laughs> wow. What if you're one of those people that I killed? Okay. Wow. That was... <laughs> I have no retort for that, yep. I have no retort. Yeah, so so my analogy just kind of blew up on me right there. That was great. <laughs> All right, no. So what if she's thinking evil thoughts about me right now, which apparently she is. So I've, I've, she's killed me. And uh, would I be willing to lay down my life for the evil thought that she just committed? I go, well... No, I don't know about that. Hang on. Time out, time out, time out. Because that's not going to get her killed, right? You're never going to get a ticket by a police officer for an evil thought. You're not going to go to jail for an evil thought. But that's sin, and that'll send you to hell. So would I be willing to lay down my life for my wife's evil thought? Time out now. Time out. Let's not get crazy about this thing, right? But Paul's saying Jesus gave himself for our sins. Everything that that covers, the quote-unquote little stuff and the big stuff. That, to me, is just mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing, right? I mean, I, I love you, man, but uh-uh. <laughs> right? I mean, this is just that's incredible, incredible stuff. For, for me, this illustrates the fact that Jesus gave himself up for my sins. It shows the seriousness of my sin. Right? The fact that God had to die because of my sin shows the significance and the weight and the awfulness of my sin. Does that make sense? It's a big, 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 hairy deal. Awful. Right, so, it says that he might deliver. Does anybody have a different translation of your, of your scripture? Different word for that word, deliver? That he might deliver. What was I heard it. I heard it. Rescue. Yes. That he might rescue. And why do we need rescuing? Because we're messed up. <laughs> we're really messed up. If you open that door right over there, 
you will see behind that door a closet. Oh, my. Any of you that are OCD, you would have to immediately stop and go spend like 12 hours trying to fix it. It is horrible. And you know why we have it behind that closed door? Because it's behind the closed door. We don't want to look at it, right? That closed door is a great example of all of our closets. We throw all that junk in our closet and we close the door and hoping nobody will ever see it. And then we get really close to somebody and they say, what's that door go to? Oh, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't need to worry about that door. Don't worry about that door. That's okay. Yeah. And the reality is all of our closets look like that. <laughs> okay? That's, that's where we're at. That he might rescue us. Tim Keller said that Jesus is not so much a teacher as he's a rescuer because that is what we most need. Nothing in who we are or what we do saves us. Lightfoot said that strikes, uh, this strikes the keynote of this epistle, that the gospel is a rescue and emancipation from a state of bondage. So what's he going to deliver us from? He's going to deliver us from this present evil age. This present evil age. So he's saying that this salvation, this rescue, is for right now. Now, it's also for later on when we die, right? But it's for right now. And we don't think about the gospel that way sometimes, right? We think about the gospel as we have something that happened in the past that's going to help me way off in the future. The gospel is for right now. It is saving me right now. Get the theme here? The theme is right. There we go. You got it. Okay. According to the will of our God and Father. Another quote from Tim Keller, he said, We didn't ask to be rescued, but God in His grace planned what we didn't realize we needed. Is that awesome or what? So I don't even know that I needed the solution. I needed the entire worked it out, made it available to me so that I just have to believe it's true. Incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Um, <clears throat> Sean McGarvey, this is summarizing Martin Luther's because Sean had the Luther commentary on Galatians. He says, uh, uh, Luther says basically not to sweat it because God through Christ already handled it. That's it. Don't worry about it. Jesus got this covered. Literally. <laughs> Literally covered. And verse 5, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So he ends this idea that when we do these things, God gets glory. So what's the point? Well, number one, everyone's under authority. We got that. I think everybody can relate to that one. Two, relationships are critical to correcting error in the church. So here's what's going to happen in my life. I've been teaching the Scripture for, I have to do the math now, 21 years, on and off in different capacities. And um, I have taught things that I no longer believe to be true. Okay? Guilty. I will teach something at some point, hopefully I didn't today, I will teach something at some point that will turn out to not be theologically correct. Okay, I guarantee you, you stay in this class on something that is not right. It's just human being going to say something incorrect. That's the way it's going to work. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to love me through the process of fixing that. Okay, I don't need you to walk up immediately after we're over with your big spiritual two by four and crack me upside the head and go, "That was stupid. What are you doing?" No, that doesn't help, right? That's not grace and peace. <laughs> have this relationship. And when we have right relationships with each other and error creeps into the church, we can address it with one another. Right? 
How many of you have ever seen somebody go off, and, off the deep end and do something utterly, ridiculously crazy and stupid and you didn't feel you could say anything because you didn't know the person good enough? Ever experienced that? Yeah. Don't <laughs> get to know each other. I need you to know me well enough so that I go off the deep end and do something ridiculous that somebody's going to come up and go, John McGarvey, I need you to walk into my life and say, hey, stupid, you're being stupid, right? I'm going to love you through it, but you're being stupid. And you know what? I'm going to listen to you because you're my friend. Keith, you better be standing right there next to him. And Albert's going to be behind both of you because you're going to have to hold him back. He'll, he'll have the two before in his hand, okay? I mean, this is what we need. We need to hold each other accountable in this way. Number three, there exists a single gospel for all churches to proclaim. There is not a gospel for the Methodists, a gospel for the Lutherans, a gospel for the Catholics, a gospel for the Baptists, a gospel for the folks that don't have a title. It, there's one gospel. And Paul's going to be real, real clear about what that is as we go through. Number four, Martin Luther. Here's my Luther quote for the day. We'll try to get a Luther quote in every lesson. We'll see if we can do that. These two terms, grace and peace, constitute Christianity. Constitute Christianity. I think it's a great line. That's a great line. Number five, the gospel is for now. Now. The gospel is for all. The gospel is forever. The gospel is now. There's a lot of things that go in that blank. This particular lesson is now. So what do I do with that? Well, submit to the authorities in my life. Establish relationships prior to engaging error. Prior to engage, I cannot stress this enough. You want to know how church splits happen? That thing doesn't happen. There's not a relationship prior to addressing some error. So, well, I just won't say anything. Well, I won't say anything. Well, I won't say anything. Well, that little pebble in your shoe is going to turn into a boulder at some point. And by the time it turns into a boulder, we are way past addressing it when it could have been done at a very, very small level. Establish relationships prior to addressing and engaging error. Number three, know the singularly true gospel. Because there ain't but one that's true. There's a whole lot of them out there. There's a whole lot of them out there. Number four, look for ways to live out grace and peace in real ways. Give others what they don't deserve and work to join people together. And number five, glorify God through the right now applicability of the gospel. It is applicable right now. Tomorrow morning when you wake up and you still have that crusty sleep stuff in your eyes, the gospel is applicable right now. When you get to work and you see that person that you want to take the two-by-four to and smack them upside the head, the gospel is applicable right now. When you clock out for the day and you think, oh, i got the rest of the day free, I'm good to go, the gospel is applicable right now. When we sing songs to our Savior in just a couple of minutes, the gospel is applicable right now. It is always working for us and not against us. And that's one of the awesome things about God. So, I love Galatians. We're only five verses in. That's the lesson for today. Make sure that you have put your name on each one of the handout, not each one of the handouts, on the handout in the center of the sheet. Yeah, you don't have to autograph each other. So that'd be kind of weird. But um, Unless you want to pray for each other during the week. That's a cool thing. Uh, make sure your prayer requests are on the sheets as well. Pray as a table, and then you are dismissed. Thank you so much for coming today.